Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. It's nice to see chairs. Um, I haven't been here since the chairs have came in. I was supposed to be here last uh, month, but um, I decided to catch strep throat instead three days before I was supposed to come here. So um, I hope you would forgive me for that. Um, while I was uh, preparing the message, I realized that um, I haven't really shared my story here. Um, I haven't really given my testimony about how I came to the faith. Um, so I just wanted to open with um, talking about that for a few minutes. Uh, so I, I've grown up within the church. Um, uh, I really only remember ever going to Lima Community Church of the Nazarene. Um, but the more I reflect on my life, the more I realize that I was kind of just going through the motions. Um, even, even at a young age, I was kind of um, just going to church, um, sitting through Miss um, Lindsay's uh, Sundays, our elementary-aged uh, morning, um, and then going home, having lunch, usually fish sticks, mac and cheese, and green beans. Right, Lindsay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lindsay's my sister. Um, that's usually our, that was usually our Sunday meal growing up. Uh, but then I started being able to go to church camp. Uh, the, our church always does a week, our, about a four-day-long vacation, or not vacation, goodness gracious, I can't speak today. I'm so sorry. Four-day-long camp uh, in Bell Fountain, Ohio. Uh, and the fifth graders always were given the opportunity to be baptized. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Because the last day, everyone would go down to the lake, and we would watch um, all of these kids devote their lives to Christ and get baptized. And it was just a truly awesome and wonderful uh, moment. And so then at the end of my third grade year, I remember asking... I remember asking Miss Lindsay, when can I get baptized? And she said, well, you have to wait till you're in fifth grade. And said, so I said, okay, great. I'm ready to be in fifth grade now. <laughs> and so by the time I got to fifth grade, I was, I was baptized. But it was that following fall where I remember where I really didn't begin to live like a Christian. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit living within me saying, hey, now that I'm in your life, here's some areas you might want to clean up. Or maybe it was just that, and this is what my personal opinion is, I saw my baptism as just something to do because all the cool kids in fifth grade did it at summer camp. And so I continued going through the same life and I was actually living more um, like a double life than I was really anything else. When I was at my dad's house or when I was at church, I was, I was the good Christian kid that everyone wanted to have as their kid. 
I was doing all the right things, I was serving, I was going to all the youth stuff. Then when I was at my mom's or I was at school, I was acting like everyone else. I was hanging out with all the kids that uh, liked, liked to cuss and liked to party and um, uh, were just really um, into the vulgar kind of inappropriate jokes and that's kind of where I found myself for most of my middle school and early high school. Early high school, I, I, I realized that I was having the serious call to, to ministry, and that's kind of then a, a large turning point in my life, where I realized if I'm going to be going into ministry, I should probably act like a Christian. I should at least be a Christian. And the, the turn was, was still slow, and it wasn't really until sophomore year um, of college. Um, I had moved in early. I was doing a bunch of training to be um, a small group leader for incoming freshmen. And I had gone to Walmart and I came back and I was sitting in my car in the parking lot and I think I was listening to a song by um, Andy Minio or Lecrae, they're um, Christian rappers. And I heard someone say, what are you doing, son? Well, I know those words were not in any of the songs that I listened to, so I was like, oh, this is Jesus. I'm having a come-to-Jesus moment with Jesus. And from that moment on, I've really rededicated my life, really trying to embody the mission of loving God and loving others. And in my story, there are two moments of choice that I was presented with, the choice of my baptism and the choice of my coming-to-Jesus moment. I find it interesting that in our lives, an average adult is offered 35,000 choices every day. That's about two and a half seconds between each choice, which is about the time span that I just left. How many of these choices are good? Like my baptism, my eagerness to become one with God and one within the body of the church. And, one, and then my other choice of rededicating my life to God to really step into my adoption. How many of these are life-giving? Where we're giving life and love to other people. But yet, how many of these choices are not all that good? Whether you're whether you're like me and I was living this double life, or, or maybe the bad choices that we feel are from other people, and they're not life-giving at all, but rather they're life-stealing. Others, other people's choices affects us. It's obvious um, in all of our lives. We've been hurt by one person or another at some point in our lives then those choices, some, some choices might be literally life-stealing. But our quality of life is also extremely devalued. When these life-stealing choices are made that affect our lives and our lives are broken, on a global scale, we see, we see broken families. We see poverty. We see homelessness and war. We see oppression, we see slavery. 
You know, this conversation of choices reminds me of two men found within the Bible. Um, the men being Adam and Christ. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, deals with this comparison of how should we, how do we look at Adam and how do we look at Christ? And so our text today, we're going to be in Romans 5, uh, verses 12 through 21. Um, and so the chapter actually starts with a therefore. And in my good Bible interpretation classes, I was always taught, if you see a therefore, figure out what it's referring to. And so keep flipping back the therefores, and you get to for chapter 4, where it starts this conversation of justification, or how is it that we are saved? Justification is, is this theological term really just saying that we are made one with God, that we are brought back to the Father through the death and resurrection of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So chapter 4 is just saying, okay, this is how you're saved, this is what it's doing for you in your life. Chapter 5 now is saying, okay, now that we are justified, what are we to do? What exactly is justification in our lives? What does it mean to be made one with God? So actually, this, this chapter can really be summed up in the first two verses of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Those two verses summarize both chapter 4 and into chapter 5. And so we start then at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and all this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. So Paul is beginning the comparison. We're looking at this one man, this one man named Adam. So we're all from one ancestor being Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, while they were in the garden, they had this beautiful relationship with God. And then they, and then they, were, kicked out of, they were kicked out of the garden and that relationship wasn't really passed down. It's like, it's like a family tradition, a family recipe. You keep passing it down and down and down. Maybe it's a Sunday, Sunday lunch of fish sticks, mac and cheese, and green beans. Maybe it's the family recipe for pumpkin pie. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Pumpkin is gross. But if, if traditions aren't passed down... They're lost to history. They're gone from our memory. The coming generations don't know the, the goodness that those traditions brought. And so we see then that in Adam's life, 
he doesn't pass on the good relationship to his kids. I mean, one of his sons killed his other son. Kind of an issue, very life-stealing choice. (laughs) Thank you, Stephen. (laughs) And we see that Paul is saying that those where the law is not at, the, the sin can't be charged to those who don't know the law. And he's not saying that they're not sinning, they're not making a life-stealing choice. He's saying that how their culture, how the Jewish culture understands the law, they're not sinning in that sense. They're not breaking something. They don't know that they're not doing wrong. They're still doing something life-stealing. But in the sense of looking at the law, the the sin of breaking the law is not there. And so, we have left the completeness. Sorry, I've gotten completely lost. Uh-huh, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so we, have, we have forgotten the pattern. We've forgotten the lifestyle of being completed with God in our life. By, going, by living through Adam's heritage, by being a, a descendant of Adam, we have lost what it means to be with God. In verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one's sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification, brought being brought back to God. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace in the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now Paul is saying, okay, these two men, Adam and Jesus, they've brought two things to the world. One is a trespass, a violation, leaving the garden because their own choice to forsake the relationship. Well, on the other hand, Jesus brings us the gift of grace. For those then that are living under Adam, a pathway to justification is opened. The open invitation to, become, to come back to God, to accept the, the life and love and grace that God offers. And what I love about those three verses is every time the gift is mentioned, how much more is it beneficial? How much more does it bring life than the death that Adam brought us? How much more grace is offered to those who accept it? And that even the death that sin brings, how much more life is given to those who accept it? And and as we live in a broken world, We know how strong death is. 
I'm sure all of us in here have experienced at least one funeral in our life. And just knowing the emotions from the own funerals that I've attended. Just trying to imagine how strong death is and then realizing how much stronger God's life is. That we have this hope that in the end, the dead will be raised and everything will be brought back into creation. That death doesn't have the final word anymore. Verse 18, Paul, Paul completes the comparison of Adam and Jesus. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So even though the, this person committed this trespass that affected all of us, there is one who offers life so much stronger than the death that we have seen. And, and it says at the end of that verse, for all people, and it's not saying that every single person um, will be saved. This idea um, called universalism, um, universally everyone is saved. It's not, it's not arguing that. It's arguing that every single type of person will be saved. And it's also saying that the doorway is open for all people. They just have to step through. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Adam's disobedience. And this, the gospel isn't something about just doing the right things, just being a good, faithful um, Christian in the sense that you just have to check mark the list as you go. But the disobedience of Adam, forsaking the relationship that he had with God, brought sin and death into the world. And but now, because God didn't want that to be the status quo, but he wanted to bring life and love back into the world, he sent his son. So that where there is sin and where there is death, there might be life again. There might be this possibility that we are able to re-enter into the relationship we had with the God who created us from the very beginning of our life, however tiny it is, to be able to go back into love and back into life. The law was given not to be some sort of redemption plan for the Jewish people. The law was given to show that they need a savior. So that's what Paul is talking about earlier in verse 13, verses 13 and 14. That 
we recognize we need a savior. That we're breaking all of these commands that God gave us because we can't do anything in our own power to reach that point of perfection, to reach that point of holiness, to reach that point of sanctification. We need someone to transform our lives. Where there is sin, where trespass might increase, where the actions of life-stealing people are increased, grace and love and the actions of life-giving are increased all the more. Dr. Uh, Scott Daniels, um, he recently just got elected to be um, uh, one of the general superintendents within the Church of the Nazarene, one of our, our global leaders. Um, he's also a professor for Nazarene Theological Seminary, and um, in, a, in an attempt to bring students there, they made a bunch of stickers because my generation love weird stickers for whatever reason, but it's, his, his, it's a horrible picture of his face um, and a quote of his. And his quote says, sin does not get the last word. Grace does. Darkness doesn't get the last word. Light does. Evil doesn't get the last word. Good does. And death doesn't get the last word. Life does. The life that we have inherited from Adam, can, can you agree with me that it is a dark one? It's, it's a worrisome one. It's, it's a life full of incompleteness. And I highlighted verses one and two at the beginning of going through the text, and I want to do it again because we're called to back into a life of peace. And our understanding of peace um, in the Western culture uh, is that of a life with no conflict. But to the, to the ancient people and to the people that have written the Bible, peace is not a lack of conflict, but peace is a completeness with the God who made us. To be made one with God. So Paul, in verses 1 and 2, is saying that, guys, our faith and our hope and our justification is to bring us back to peace. Are, is there going to be conflict? Yes, there is. Even amongst the holy people of the ancient church, it only took about 20 years before they had to get together and tell Paul to stop doing what he was doing. Turns out, though, Paul was right in doing what he's doing. But my point is that even among holy, loving people, such as the, the, the apostles, there's still conflict. And so we can't say then that peace is, is a life without conflict, because if we live in relationship with each other and, and we also hold that everyone is different, then there's going to be conflict at some point. There, there just has to be because we're not always going, we can't see everyone's perspective and so, and so what, what I'm trying to say is conflict is evident. Sorry, that was long. So after reading, going through that chapter, um, we're left with a choice ourselves. 
we're left with a choice of two pathways that we can walk down. A pathway where our actions are, are dictated by life-stealing activities. Lying or, or stealing, gossiping. But then we're offered the other pathway, pathway the other choice of life-giving love. And for those of us that have already made the decision, and for those of us that have chosen to go down the path of Jesus, what then are we to do? Is our faith just for ourselves? No, it's not. Because Jesus told us to go and make disciples and to love one another. And making disciples just isn't about going to small group once a week or, or getting coffee with someone once a month. But it's this lifelong day-by-day training. I mean, Jesus' 12 disciples walked with him and lived with him for three years. It's this training and teaching that requires a, 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 daily, a daily duty. Not duty in the sense of checking... <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> Goodness gracious, Stephen. I'm sorry for y'all. Not in the sense of checking, checking the to-do list off, but in the sense of faithfulness, in the sense of I love you and I, I want to see what's best for you and I want, I want you to be reconciled with the God who made you. So I'm going to train you. The faithfulness that we see in marriages the faithfulness that we see God as he interacts with his people. And so now I'm imploring you guys to continue your path, to live outwardly, because our faith is not our own. Our faith is not just so that we can be saved for ourselves, but it's so that we can spread the love and bring the kingdom of God into every corner that we are at. I find it odd that we, we say that our salvation is this great and wonderful thing. But then we keep it in. Paul is challenging us that maybe being made one with God is actually for each other. I think she agrees. And I've, I've, had, this, I've had a certain verse from the, the Old Testament on my heart a lot recently. Um... 2 Samuel 6.14, um, David, David was just made king. He's bringing the ark into Jerusalem. He's, he's, he's excited about it. He's ecstatic that it's happening. And he says, wearing, it says, wearing a linen ephod, which is just a fancy robes or priest's clothing. It's kind of short, so I will explain why that's important in a second. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing with the Lord with all his might. Some translations say dancing and leaping. So if he's wearing this short thing and dancing and leaping with all his might, you can imagine that there might be some humiliation. <laughs> um, and actually, verse 16, it's talking about how his wife, uh, Michal, um, the one of the daughters of Saul, um, was watching from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Probably because this guy is showing off his 
royal jewels. Um, but I, I'm bringing that up because I'm wondering, we have this awesome thing in our life, but how excited do we actually get about it? I, it's been on my heart, this verse has been on my heart for the last few weeks. And as I've been re-examining my life and the day-to-day interactions I have and um, at Mount Vernon, uh, there's um, three times a week there's chapel um, that we have to go to or we pay a bunch of money. Um, it's fine, it gets people saved, I'm sure. Um, but I'm wondering, do, do I approach my relationship with God the same way I approach the things that I love? Um, and in early high school, um, and still now, honestly, um, I, play, I played a lot of video games, um, and I would get really passionate about me playing video games. And so I would get a lot of text messages late at night from my dad saying, please be quiet. And I was, I was getting loud because, um, and my family and kind of can definitely attest to this, when I get passionate about something, I get loud. And I'm si- I, I look back at my life and I'm sitting in worship and I'm singing like monotone and very stoic and very quiet-like. Do I get passionate about my relationship with God and the fact that I have been brought into this terrific family and brought in to be a son of the true father of all of us? So my question is then, are we doing this as well? When we're watching sports, Do we get more passionate about our college team or our professional team? I'm not saying that it's it's wrong to get passionate about the things you like. But do we hold the same passions for our life with God? Are we... Are we ecstatic about the fact that we once were living in sin and death and we were once making all these life-stealing choices, but now we are brought into this transformation where we can say, I love you, and put words and put actions to it. We can really bring love and life to other people. What are we passionate about? What are we being loud about and dancing with all of our might, regardless of the fact that we might be committing a felony? like David might have been in our culture. So for those of us that have chosen the life to, to go down this journey of transformation, to live life of life-giving, I have two challenges for us as we go throughout this week. First of, who are we sharing the good news with? Who are we discipling? And second, Are there things in our life that we get more passionate about? That in a sense become an idol in our life. And for those that haven't made a decision yet, that are still walking down the pathway that we've inherited, aren't you tired? Aren't you hurting? 
Are you afraid that you're living through Daniel's first half of each sentence of his quote where, where you're living in sin, you're living in darkness and evil and death? Aren't you ready to be relieved? Aren't you ready to feel life and love and peace? There's a God who, who is for you. So much so that he was, he, he was willing to let himself die for you. Because he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. And he wants to be with his child. And so if, if you're feeling called to to step into this second choice, this choice of life and of love. Please find, find Stephen or Matthew. Let this place be your community. Let this place be where you get discipled, where you get to be equipped to where you are now living a life of life-giving as well. God, we, we thank you for for what it is that you've given us today. This message of, of coming back to peace. This message of, of really living in a manner of life-giving. And that our salvation, yes, it is for ourselves to an extent. But that we're supposed to go out and share it because if it's this great and awesome thing, God, why wouldn't we let everyone know about it? We thank you for your, your love for us. And God, I just ask that as we go into our, our week, Lord, your spirit would be with us, reminding us of the choice that we made to be accepted into your kingdom. We love you. Amen. Would you repeat after me? Grace is greater. Grace is greater. All right, all right. That was your practice one. All right. Grace is greater. Grace is greater. All right. One more time. Like you believe it. Okay? One, two, three. Grace, Grace is greater. With everything that he said. We just want to boil it down to grace is greater. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. No one else. Mm -hmm. Grace is greater. Take that with you this week. Now, before we head out, I highly suggest you don't commit any felonies, okay? <laughs> All right? Please, no. Um, yes, definitely be passionate about the Lord, but no felonies. We do not condone that type of behavior. Um, the other thing that we want to remind you of, uh, next Sunday... Matthew and I will have a conversation. Um, it's not going to be sermonic. You're not going to have a, a sermon, so to speak, but he and I are going to have a conversation unpacking um, the last six years with Matthew and also unpacking um, some of the biblical lessons that he has learned in the last year in the sandbox as well as uh, filtering through God's call in his life. 
uh, because next Sunday is his final Sunday with us. As I drove up this morning and his car wasn't there yet, I thought in two weeks his car won't be here because he's going to be bringing the first message to Zanesville Northside Church of the Nazarene. I'm proud of him for that. Just kind of had this like moment. I will not see his car in two weeks. However, <clears throat> we want to send him. So next Sunday, I'd ask one, you be present. Be present next week. Invite somebody in because I think it'll be a really good conversation to, to walk through. Because all of us walk through transitions in our life, don't we? Right? Some of you may be walking through transitions right now. Matthew and his family and our church is walking through transitions. So there are lessons that God has for us that we can carry out and apply to our life. Number two, Matthew, would you mind coming up? Um, I kind of have a feeling. I know what your answer is. But uh, what's your favorite drink? Dr. Pepper. Where's your favorite restaurant? McDonald's. All right. There it is, folks. Next Sunday is Dr. Pepper and McDonald's Sunday. All right? And if you would like to bring some cookies, too, that would be great. So next Sunday, following the service, we just want to send them off and have a great time for some conversation. So I'd ask that you do a, a couple things. If you're, if you're, like, feeling led, go ahead, grab some Dr. Pepper. We're going to send them off with Dr. Pepper because I'm sure his office is going to have a fridge. All right? <laughs> well, you'll get your daily duty in there. All right. Wow. Yes, the Bible does talk about poo. Okay. Number two, if you, if you honestly feel led, I'd just love for you to bless him with a $5 gift card or something to McDonald's because those are his favorite things. How many of you have favorite things? And when somebody does something like that and says, they appreciate you. So we want to send him off with some favorite things, Dr. Pepper and McDonald's, and I'm sure he'll have that with his boys when he's down in Zanesville. And then if you would like to bring some cookies, whether you make them homemade or not, that's fine. We just want to have a good moment on his way out. So would you mind doing that? I appreciate you doing that. Dr. Pepper Sunday. All right. Would you please stand? Grace is greater than all our sin. So would you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind? Basically, do the hokey pokey. All right? Your whole self in. And would you please love your neighbor as yourself. Be blessed. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community, and to love people to Jesus.